This is uh, February 16th, 2024. A little bit snow covered outside. About 32, 33 degrees where I am. Don't know what it is where you are. Hope you are safe. And well. And prospering in the Lord and in his word. We're going to look at the last part of Ephesians 6, verses 14 through 24. We're going to talk about the Christian armor. Uh, <clears throat> the, the need for armor. So it's like, okay, this is this is Paul. And he's, he's addressing a church that he obviously loves and uh, trying to equip them. And I think in the last chapter, he is kind of intimating to them what they're going to need to wear in the coming days, months, and years. It's not a thing that necessarily they would normally contemplate, but, uh, you know, it's, Paul is telling him, look, it's not always, it's not going to be peace, love, and happiness, and joy, uh, regardless. That's not how it works. So we'll read, <clears throat> we'll read the context first, then kind of get into it. We'll pick it up in 614. He says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the, the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. But that you also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that you might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. 
So, um, start off with some questions here. So always step back. It's always step back. If you if you're if you're getting ramped up on something, uh, I found it useful to step back and take a broader perspective of things, and usually that helps to put things in proper context. Then sometimes you got to step back more than one step. Anyway, um, the scripture tells us that we are more than conquerors through Him that loves us. And that's spoken of in, in the terms of present tense. We are. It doesn't say we shall be more than conquerors, but that we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. And if we are more than conquerors, why do so many believers act like refugees The desire for the milk of the word is to lead to growth, which means strength. Strength for what? For the battles. Too many believers care not for the idea of standing against something, but that's something that Paul strongly advocated. Not just standing, but standing against something, because that implies that there are things the Christian needs to stand against. Far too often we think that the war is only within ourselves, the spirit against the flesh. But the battle rages far and wide, worldwide to be exact. Does God call us to embrace and love the truth and then not use it to stand against lies and deceptions? Does doing good to others involve placating them in their lies? Does being a light for God mean that we are not to let it shine because the light is to reveal those things done in darkness? Do you hide your light under a bushel? So, if we are to embrace and love the truth, are we not to use it to stand against lies and deceptions? If not, then what's the value of it? And why would be a testimony and a witness of these things? Doing good to others does not involve placating them and their lies. Whatsoever doth make manifest is light. We've learned that already in Ephesians. The Apostle Paul is going to articulate the specifics of the Christian armor. Verse 13 was the general thought. The text today will give us the specifics. Verse 13 said, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. That's the general context. We'll get into the specifics. Verse 14 says, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. What's the first word? Stand. So according to the thought of verse 13, 
the thinking of the word withstand invokes not just standing, but standing in the midst of battle or in the midst of opposition to withstand. The loins reflect the waistline. In the common sense, if we think about warriors, the belt would hold the sword and maybe a dagger on the other side. The truth has many facets, like a diamond. God has equipped us with many tools to be used in our battles. But this first one seems primary. Truth, that is, the Word of God. It stands to reason that the more of the truth you know, the better equipped you are to engage the enemy. Now, in knowing the truth, it's actually a two-sided thing. With the truth, you exhort the brethren, and with the truth, you use it in standing against the enemy. Okay, to the one it's going to be helpful, to the other one it's going to be offensive. Enlisting the specifics for the Christian armor, why do you think Paul mentions truth first? That's your primary thing. Truth and trust go hand in hand. You can't trust somebody that doesn't speak the truth. Contemporary events make that pretty well obvious. The second aspect of verse 14 is the breastplate of righteousness. Now the breastplate was to cover the whole front from the waist up from the throat on down. Gee, the, the Greek word indicates the thorax. It's uh, referred to as the breastplate of righteousness. In Romans 5.17, we're talking about righteousness. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, that is the offense of Adam, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. So righteousness is both imputed unto us and is a token of our faith, but it is a gift. It is a gift unearned, but to be utilized in the Christian's battles against the principalities and powers of darkness, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against the spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the breastplate of righteousness. And you don't think those stuff exists? Principalities and powers of darkness? You haven't been paying attention. The rulers of the darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places, places of authority. Verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Think about the way that we make our way through this world. Think about it as a march. And our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And as we march in this world, we stand against evil. And that stand against evil, what conveys us is 
our feet and our feet are shod or to be equipped with shoes or sandals that represent the gospel of peace. Peace is the byproduct of the sinner reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that that reconciliation and that peace brings one who is reconciled to himself. Not that he doesn't see himself as a sinner on the one hand, but on the other hand, he sees himself as a new creature in Christ Jesus. So in his standing and state before God, that is how he stands. Peace is then something that we should always be willing to convey to those who oppose us. That is, peace through the truth. The truth is the primary. I do not think you can get peace apart from truth. Just go back to Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who has made both, Jew and Gentile, one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of two one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and to them that were nigh, to both Jew and Gentile. For through him we both, Jew and Gentile, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. So Jew and Gentile are reconciled in peace by the blood of Christ. In John fourteen twenty seven, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid, as in being a refugee. Neither let it be afraid. What would be the opposite of fear? Boldness. Ephesians 6.16 Above all, taking the shield of faith. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Now, the shield is attached to your arm, typically, so you can raise it, lower it, make it go one side or the other. Right? Take the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. All, meaning all, not just some. So, above all, or over all of the aforementioned, take the shield of faith. And we'll go back to Proverbs 30, and we'll pick up a little tidbit there in verse 5. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. 
So, every word of God is pure. He, he, God is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. So, this shield speaks of ability, wherewith you shall be what? You shall be able. This shield equips us, makes us able to quench or to extinguish the spears and or arrows which have been set on fire by those who oppose the righteous and those things that are launched at the sons of God. If you are standing against the means and methods of the wicked and evil, you will need a shield. This defensive tool, your shield, will enable you to defeat those missiles launched at you in whatever form they may have. The way of the evil is cunning, destructive, deceitful, inventive, to name a few. While initially your mission may be self-preservation, theirs is to destroy not only you, but everything that you stand for by whatever means and method. Perhaps it may be better to see beyond mere self-preservation, for our battle is not for the self only but for our children, our brethren, and those who have yet to become Christians, we seek to preserve and propagate the gospel. So, on the one hand, preserve it, on the other hand, to propagate it. Ephesians 6.17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the helmet is an overall head covering. So if you need think you need a head covering, use the helmet. Salvation is equated as a deliverance, and it is that deliverance that has put you in the ranks of the saved. We'll go back to an allusion to that, not illusion, but allusion to that. In Isaiah 59:16, we'll pick it up there. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness. It sustained him for he put on righteousness as a breastplate and an helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly, he will repair fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies, to the islands he will repay recompense. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun, or the east, when the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. We find similar language of uh, Ephesians 6.17 here in that, that quote in 
Isaiah 59. The second part of Ephesians 6.17 is the sword of the Spirit. Now, this is the only offensive weapon that is listed. The only offensive weapon that is listed. So, the sword of the Spirit is the two-edged sword, the law and the gospel. This, this sword has two edges, the law and the gospel. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. This two-edged sword such is the power of the sword to divide the soul from the spirit, the joint from the marrow, which discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. See, background noise. I apologize. I forgot to turn the heater off because it's cool in the room, but disregard any distractions that might cause. The sword of the Spirit, I imagine, is like a probe that enters into the wicked, and it discerns all the evil and darkness that abides there. And it is on that basis the wicked are judged, because God sees all of it. No one hides from God. All that is sown is reaped. No one, regardless of what their spiritual condition, no one gets away from that. Ephesians 6.18 Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So with that sword and the Spirit and the shield of faith, those things, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto, that is, praying always with all prayer and supplication, and watch thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So given the context of the Christian armor, because that's what we're talking about, don't go into battle without prayer and supplication, and that's petitions and requests in the spirit and watching. That is guarding with all, with all perseverance. That means without reserve, with all perseverance and supplication for all your brethren, wherever they may be. If you have fellow brethren, they engage the enemy just like you do. Pray for them to be steadfast and strong. Pray for those who speak the word of God and for those who convey it by other means. And that includes sermon audio. It includes how they convey the gospel by other means. Those things need to be prayed for. 
I think that they would appreciate it. Listen, don't think that evil sleeps. It doesn't. Don't think the wicked are weak. They aren't. Don't take peace for granted. For always do the forces of evil seek to disrupt and destroy peace. Always. Let me run those things by you again. Don't think evil sleeps. It doesn't. Don't think the wicked are weak. They aren't. Don't take peace for granted. For always do the forces of evil seek to, dis to disrupt and to destroy the Christian's peace. Ephesians 6.19 And for me that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that wherein, oh, excuse me, therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, this is the not, uh, it's not just pray for all saints, Paul says. Do that, but pray for me also, that the words may be given to me, that I may speak boldly, to make known the mystery of the gospel. And I think that would probably be a prayer to anyone who breaks forth the bread of life, the gospel. That would be their request of you as a believer, that you would pray for them in the manner that Paul mentions here. And Paul says, for these things, for the preaching, the mystery of the gospel, I am an ambassador or representative uh, as the ambassador of the Lord of eternal things, of the truth of the gospel, that I may boldly proclaim as I ought to. Now, notice that he uses the word boldly twice in these two verses. Notice that. Boldly. They may speak boldly. Not with hesitancy, not with doubt, not with looking around at your audience and then making uh, these concessions to, well, they might kill me after I get done speaking. That's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just bring it, bring it out, brother, and just let it let it go. The truth is the truth. You don't have to apologize or make accommodation for your audience. Just speak the truth, but speak it in love. Love is the intent. And understanding that love is not the placating of them where they are. It never involves that. Now, if, if you look up this word boldly in the book of Acts, you will see it applied to how Paul spoke in many passages. He spoke boldly. But here he solicits their prayers that he may continue to do so. He sought the strength that came from the prayers of others. He wanted their support in his endeavors for the gospel and for the glory of God. I don't believe Paul ever spoke in an apologetic manner. 
The strength of his dramatic new birth on the road to Damascus and the things God had shown him caused him to speak boldly. What things, brethren, have you been shown and know of the Lord? Do you speak of those things boldly? Do you speak to whoever will listen? Maybe even sometimes to those who don't listen. Do as Paul. Ask others to pray for you that you may be enabled to do so. Uh, Verse 21 and 22, Ephesians 6. But that you also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known to you all things, whom... I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Paul's intent to keep the Ephesians informed of his affairs and of those who traveled with him, so he used Tychicus as this go-between. Verse 23 and 24, Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So this is Paul's benediction to the Ephesians. Paul said a lot of things in this epistle. And Lord willing, we will review those things next week to wrap up our study in the book of Ephesians. He said, peace to the brethren, not as the world giveth, but the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Love with faith. So we notice three things in this, peace, love, and faith. Now, these three things, these are things belonging only to genuine believers. Don't take them for granted. Don't leave them underutilized. Then in verse 24, he uses another one, grace. So, Peace, love, faith, and grace. Grace invoked upon all who love our our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. The word sincerity means in incorruptibility and in genuineness. So now there are such things as false brethren. So Paul subliminally perhaps puts that in here. All those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, I'm talking about that are genuine believers, that's what he's saying. He speaks only for the genuine believer. He's not talking about false ones. I want to review our armor, our Christian armor. Upon our loins, truth. 
our breastplate is righteousness. Upon our feet, the gospel of peace. Our shield is faith. Our helmet is salvation. Our sword of the Spirit is the word of God. How sharp is your sword, brethren? And our backup is prayer and perseverance in the Spirit. And our watching is staying awake. Watch as in uh, keeper of the prison. Uh, to illustrate, watching is like, I spent four years in the Navy. We had watches on the ship, uh, which means uh, our division had uh, security watches. So what we did, we, we roamed the ship uh, when everybody else was sleeping. We had four-hour shifts, so we'd go from 8 p.m. till midnight, and then from midnight to 4 a.m., and then from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., which was Reveille. But we would roam the ship watching the pump rooms, make sure areas weren't flooding, things that were okay. We reported to the bridge every hour. That's what it's talking about. Not just staying awake, but also staying aware. So, do not sleep. Be ever aware. I'm not. This is not talking about physical sleep. Certainly, we need that. But if if we talk about like tactical awareness, don't ever let your guard down. Don't ever take things for granted pay attention be sober be vigilant the christian armor is meant for soldiers of the cross whatever your sphere is whatever circles you travel in or visit be aware and look for ways to defend yourself but also be bold, as Paul, in proclaiming the word of God for the equipping of the saints and the glorifying of God and Jesus Christ, our Lord. Pay attention, always. Listen, Once, when you're born again, guess what? You're no longer of this world. When you're born again, when you become a believer, this world is a hostile environment. I've been places in my life where I stepped into a place and I immediately knew I didn't belong there. And you probably have too. How you know that is this it's not necessarily a feeling. It's this intuitive thing. It might be a spiritual thing. It might be a combination of those two things, but you don't belong there. And I've done that on quite a few occasions, actually. Uh, 
And, and that be okay with that. Because this world, as the song says, this world is not my home. And let's go back to Ephesians 1. Where did we have our beginning? Before there was anything ever created. That's where we had our beginning. Before the foundation of the world. Okay, so keep that in mind as as you go about wherever you go. Be tactically aware on a spiritual basis. Okay. Uh, pray for opportunities. And pray for those who who break forth the word of God boldly, and pray that you might do that. I think it's uh, we don't need to act like refugees here. We are conquerors through Him that loved us. Let's uh, let's start acting like that instead of acting like refugees instead of you know dodging everything sometimes we need to stand sometimes we need to stand against things in fact most times we need to stand against things and certainly yeah we need to go back to the the rear and get our rest and get refreshed and all that stuff but only so that we can be renewed to go up to the front lines again okay so be careful to do that, too. May God bless his word to your heart. And we'll recap basically the whole book of Ephesians and what we saw, Lord willing, next week. Thank you for listening.